Welcome to Uncivil, where we dive into the heartbeat of trending topics, dissecting the historical culture and events, and exploring the untold stories from the past that shape our world today. I'm your host, Fairuz, so buckle up, let's explore the world together, one commentary at a time. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting Mrs. Zuri, an advocate and respected voice in the Congolese Party of Labor. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started working in this government. Thank you so much for having me. Growing up, Congo was dealing with many civil wars, and I wanted to be a part of a party that attempts to stop this and ensure prosperity, liberty, and security amongst the people. This led me to join the DRC military, and from there, work as the head of the militant group for the Congolese Party of Labor. To start, can you provide an overview of the current state of affairs in the country? Yeah, everything is in normal shape overall. People are content and there's nothing particularly new to report. Of course, there are always areas that could use improvement, but nothing that's causing a widespread concern. It's very interesting you say that. A few weeks ago, I came across an article about a man in Congo who set himself on fire out of desperation, hoping for help from other countries. If everything is perfectly fine, as you say, what kind of help would he be needing? Well, you know, there are always isolated incidents or individuals who might resort to extreme measures for attention. But in general, the situation across the country remains stable and under control. That's quite a distressing incident though, isn't it? I mean, setting yourself on fire is an extreme cry for help. Do you think it might indicate deeper issues that that need addressing? Like I just mentioned, these incidents, while unfortunate, are often blown out of proportion by the media. We have mechanisms in place to handle such situations, and they don't reflect the overall state of the nation. You mentioned mechanisms to quote-unquote handle such situations. Could you elaborate on that? The mechanisms are within the country, and it's not something I'm obligated to reveal. Okay, but when someone goes to such extreme lengths, it may signal an underlying issue that needs immediate attention, don't you think? From a humanitarian perspective, as a human yourself, do you think that this extreme action was caused unintentionally, with no thought behind it? This isn't the first time someone's desperate act has caught global attention. A Tunisian man by the name of Tariq Bouzaza lit himself on fire. They all have a common reason. It's a plea for attention when all else fails. Again, these events are obviously a spectacle to get a reaction, like how you're reacting to it. But right now, our country is thriving. I recently read uh, Tanika Gupta's Doll's House and found its themes resonating with the situation in Congo today. It made me think about how post-colonial struggles in places like India and now in Congo show the impacts of colonization in various aspects of society like ethnicity, culture, and even gender causing long-term repercussions to the point where over 75%, I repeat, 75% of the current citizens in Congo are poor, living off of less than $2 a day. Is that what you call fine? Look, my country was handed by the British, German, and France to Belgium as a mere property. However, as a result, Congo is one of the richest countries in natural resources. This would not have been possible without colonization. Okay, Bazuri, there is no denying that there is a darker side to this, an evident misuse of power. 
When Congo was given to Belgium, King Leopold II created the Free State of Congo in 1918, and it was an opportunity for the king to benefit financially from the country and seize it as a possession, as his possession rather than a colony. He created an army of Europeans and colonies to impose his sovereignty upon the local inhabitants and force them to mine natural resources. Nearly 10 million, 10 million of the Congolese population died because of this. That is the impact of colonization. The saddest part of this was most of the men who committed the atrocities against Congolese citizens were Congolese themselves who sought the favor of their white superiors who represented the imperialist Europeans. For sure, it caused a huge divide between the nations and a huge betrayal to those who were tortured. However, I can't condemn them because that was their mode of survival. And I can't talk about their experiences like how you're doing it. It's either being killed or being the killer. And they chose the easy way out. And that's fine. This was exactly what the colonizer wanted, though, wasn't it? Belgium didn't want citizens to unite and cause a rebellion or resistance against them. So they divided the country and forced them to work day and night so that they didn't even have time to think of a revolution. Blatantly, your arguments seem very one-sided. Belgian colonization came at a time when majority of European countries were increasingly in support of the slave trade. When Congo became its own colony, all slave trade was condemned. Belgium not only saved Congo, Congolese people, but caused a chain reaction, allowing all other Africans to be free of the brutal slavery. The Belgian presence brought economic development to the region as well, introducing infrastructure such as railways and roads. Without Belgium, Congo would have been just like any African country, poor, uncivilized, and without limited infrastructure and resources. Zuri, are you forgetting that even after the king's rule, the issue was exacerbated as other international companies such as the Indo-Congo Rubber Company and Western imperialists continued exploiting the Congolese people? Deaths from untreated diseases such as syphilis were still rapidly common. And sure, Congo was able to make money out of the exploitation, but where did that money go? Surely not to your people. Look, diseases are always common, no matter where you are and no matter how rich or poor the country is. And actually, Belgium brought improvements in the healthcare and sanitation area. Health initiatives like vaccination programs, sanitation measures, and hospitals were established, contributing to the well-being of the local population by reducing the prevalence of these diseases. This created a long-lasting legacy that would continue to benefit the local population even after colonial rule. And the Belgian people also taught them a lot about healthcare and hygiene. And furthermore, you can't disregard that Congo was finally able to gain independence, free of war or a revolution, thanks to Belgium. When Congo finally gained its independence, it was left in shambles, with only 16 people educated out of 80 million and three government workers. The country did not know how to rule or what to do from there. Belgium left and caused huge divisions in the region with different tribes and rebellion groups fighting against one another to rule the country. And after all that, the Soviet Union and the United States took advantage of the political instability to further their own agenda, continuing to exploit the land and the people with no second thought. 
Colonial powers brought about a sense of governance and structure that, although imperfect, provided a semblance of order and stability. The challenges faced by the Congolese people after gaining independence were partly due to the abrupt withdrawal of colonial powers, leaving a void in terms of experienced administrators and governance structures, and not because of exploitation. Additionally, why would Belgium want to separate the Congolese people? Wouldn't that cause problems with labor work? Moreover, this was not solely a consequence of colonial rule, but also a result of the geopolitical struggles during the Cold War, which occurred in many other powerful countries like China. And lastly, it was the Congolese people's own weakness, lack of unitedness, education, as well as the desire for power that led to the war, not Belgium. Colonialization brought educational advancements such as access to literature, scientific and mathematical studies, and in general, higher level education like the first university in Congo. And ultimately, the education system established helped in nurturing collaboration amongst tribes, which before was not a thing and over time contributed to the socio-economic and political development of the nation, opening doors to various career paths and fields, including modern medicine. And I just wanted to say, the past is just the past. And right now, we need to focus on the future of the country. Out of the kindness of their hearts, Belgium has issued an apology towards its Christian brothers, brothers of Congo, although I honestly don't think that was necessary. And they offered economic aid like 10 million euros. This helped the government further industrialize the infrastructure and facilities. There are so many things wrong with your argument, but First of all, the past is not the past. Really? What about the present? The Congolese people managed to endure this dark chapter in their history only for history to rewrite itself. The scars of exploitation still echo in Congo's political landscape today through Western power and big tech America like Apple. For those who aren't sure or familiar with the situation in Congo, Western corporations with local elites have been mining resources like cobalt, copper, and coltan, all of which they needed to produce modern technologies, technologies that have become essential in our day-to-day. Think of your iPhones, laptops that we use for work, school entertainment. All are created by the cries of the nation. Ultimately, this has been allowed to the exploitation of the weak governance structure and loopholes to gain access to these minerals systematically looting Congo's wealth. And this leads me to my next question. Why can't the Congolese Party of Labor see what's happening in front of their eyes? What's happening to their people? How can you justify and turn a blind eye to the exploitation and abuse that is so starkly evident for the whole world to witness? This is not about me or what I believe in. It's about what's good for the country. We're truly discussing from the true state of affairs. These mining facilities aid in socioeconomic progress and development. It puts Congo on the map for international trade, allowing the government to expand the trading system and benefit from Western entities. Companies like Apple have clear ethical obligations and requirements clearly stated in their practices and policies and workers. There's no evidence to support your claim. I'm very well aware of the geopolitical interest in international trade being a part of this. 
But how can we call this progress when it's built on the backs of suffering and exploitation? How can your government allow this injustice and genocide to happen all for, what, money and power? What does money or power matter if your people, who you claim you care so much about, are dying? Women, children, entire families are being displaced and subjected to horror for what? Almost 50 women are sexually assaulted every hour and nothing, nothing to make a change. We are witnessing a silent Holocaust. History quite literally repeating itself. Half of those who have died in this conflict are children under the age of five. So, Zuri, I ask you, how many kids have to die? How much blood needs to be spilled for something to be done? We come to the question, who's benefiting from this? America, Britain, France, Israel, Western powers, and you, the Congolese Party of Labor. This is all for money and power, not for democracy, not for liberty, not for autonomy, and definitely not for humanity. Exaggerating no, the situation not. severely. This is exactly what, let me finish, let me finish. We are cultural practices, languages, traditions, and ways of life are being decimated. How? This, the loss of culture is literally causing displacement. Kids are gonna grow up not knowing who they are and their purpose, believing their sole existence is to serve the interests of the white man. They're gonna no, grow that's up. too much. They are gonna grow up fighting to survive, witnessing their mother, siblings, fathers, abused and seeing their people die with no power to do anything. Something we've witnessed take part in many post-colonial countries throughout the centuries. Like I said again, this is such an exaggeration. Really you have never been to Congo. So how can you speak so passionately about something you did not experience? The Congolese people are happy and are willing to do this work. This is their job. A job is never easy. And why do you care so much about this? You're not Congolese. Yet, this cause seems to mean a lot to, to you. Zuri, the bigger question is why don't you care? Though I'm not Congolese, I'm Palestinian, and I've seen firsthand the impact of ethnic cleansing and colonialism. My family was displaced and forcefully removed from our land. That's not Co the same Colon thing. Yes, it is. Colonialism has stolen our identities and has uprooted in generational trauma. And really? I have seen how this has impacted the general Congolese population, as my best friend is Congolese. Your best friend who lived her whole life in a Western country? Oh, really? Tell me how she knows the experiences of a true lived Congolese. Your friend who is influenced by Western ideologies? Tell me how that's not biased. And the way you're looking at this is very black and white. No, it's not. The loss of culture does not necessarily mean a new one cannot be really? created. Really? Yes. When Belgium colonized Congo, they brought with them a wonderful religion, Christianity, and made sure to get rid of all heathens. The majority Heathen, of Congolese actually the majority of Congolese today it are was Christians. Not a choice. Really? It was not their choice. Where's the evidence? History is enough. There is enough evidence. Continue. The majority of Congolese today are Christians, and that is a good thing. Before, Congolese people had no morals, no ethics. They were truly savages. How can one live in a world where there is no God? How can one live believing in multiple gods? That's stupidity. Stupid, your arguments. Really? Christianity was forced upon by the Belgian Empire. How do you if know If someone that? right now preached Islam and called you a pagan for being a Christian, they would how would you feel? The how, how would, 
ancient Congolese people were not given the freedom to choose. That's what it's all about. It's about choice. And on the topic of rejection of identity, what language do most Congolese people speak? Well, French is the official language, but there are other languages, but just not as common. Historically, Congo was a very diverse country with multiple tribes, and having one centralized language has provided better communication and collaboration among communities. Let me finish. And like the course of nature, the popularity of French speakers just happened. Obviously, your whole outlook is very biased, and it's honestly a betrayal to your people. What about your outlook? You don't have the right! You were forced into speaking French, or there would be consequences. Like what? Like torture. Like killing their fa- like a family member. Plain and simple torture. The loss of cultural diversity and language due to westernization and colonialism in the waste in no way provides collaboration when entire history is being erased. Fairuz, I'm right, failing to our understand. Time has come to an end. Thank you, Zuri. Are you on seriously civil. trying to cut me off in the middle of the we, sentence? We, How dare you pause? And it was great learning about different viewpoints. I hope whoever is currently listening to this has learned something from this rich conversation. And hopefully you can, you can make up your own opinions and talk to some friends and family about this. Let's keep the conversation going.